and welcome back, everybody, to yet another episode of Going for Two. It's the official podcast of the Extra Points newsletter. I am your host, the publisher of said newsletter, Matt Brown. I'm joined here today by my co-host, my, my friend, my colleague, Brian Fisher, who's looking a little uh, little under the weather here. I understand he had kind of a rough night because because newborns are jerks. Um, glad, glad, glad to have you here. That they are, but you know what? Uh, coffee always helps. So uh, hopefully we, we can power through this uh, with with all the attention it deserves. Because uh, my friend, you have you have hit the road, and let me tell you, it was a road trip that I think pretty much the entire college football universe was following. It it was it was strange. I'm not used to ever covering a game where like everybody in this in like in the in the press box is thanking you for coming, and you wander into the stands and people come up to you and like deliberately seek you out. Uh, it was it was in, in many ways uh, unlike any other college game I've covered. I, I of course uh, over the weekend went to my first college game since before the pandemic. I flew out to New England and covered UConn UMass. The UMass of course won that game. It was it was back and forth really until the fourth quarter, and they they blew it wide open. The students stormed the field. Uh, there was a, a really joyous celebration locker room. And I, I'll, I'll link this in the in the show notes here. I, I wrote a, a big newsletter about it because the, the point of me going wasn't to write about who's going to win this game. Uh, and, I, you know, I wasn't even paying super attention during the all four quarters. I wandered into the stands and was talking to people in there too. It, it was to, to get an idea for what success looks like or how you'd even define success at one of either, really either of these programs. Because, I, Brian, I think you would agree by, by any reasonable metric – not just, these are UConn and UMass are at the bottom of FBS on the fields, recruiting rankings, probably future trajectory. Uh, if these aren't the two toughest gigs right now, they've got to be in that conversation, right? Yeah, I mean, I think we, we kind of had that conversation a little bit uh, last week on, yeah. on that episode. But I, I mean, I think it is a difficult challenge from certainly a resource standpoint, but just, uh, you know, locationally. I mean, let's face it, this is not uh, not a hotbed of, of college football, you know, certainly for, on the pro sports. You know, yes, there's, uh, you know, a fervent following, but uh, you get to you get to draft your players at that level and, and they have to come your way. That is a whole different ballgame when it comes to recruiting and yep. certainly the biggest challenge for Walt Bell and, and the rest of the school. But I think as you kind of you know, said in your newsletter, you know, the definition of success is certainly a little bit different uh, for a program of, of this stature. And I think Ryan Bamford, the, the AD, you know, kind of pointed it out that, look, we they've they've the, the school itself has risen, you know, 20 some odd spots, you know, kind of in those U.S. News and World Report rankings. And and the program has, has been bad on, on the field football wise. Um, so it does kind of dispel a little bit of that, that front porch myth. But I, I think a successful football program can be an asset to a university. And that's ultimately, I think, where, you know, program like, like uh, UMass and really wants the Minutemen to be. Yeah, that's that, I think that's exactly right. And part of what makes them unique and, and interesting to me is when we, you know, because I, I spent a lot of time at Extra Points talking about struggling programs, <laughs> you know, programs that, that are kind of on the fringes of, of whatever classification level you want. And when you look at like kind of the, the, the dregs, the, the, the smallest programs in Division One, you know, outside of football, a lot of them are in the college athletics business for enrollment, right? They're going to sponsor 22 sports and they're going to have 20%, 15% of their student body be college athletes because they need athletes, particularly men, to show up and enroll on campus. There are, a lot of these are small private schools or they're commuter colleges or schools that are transitioning out of being commuter colleges. We're like, listen, we got to come up with some kind of reason to get people to stay here on campus and show up to things and build some kind of social connection 
So they'll donate money to us in a decade. Nobody, I mean, like I, I spent part of my college career at Ohio State Newark, which is a commuter campus. There's like, you know, one dorm building there. And, that, you know, that was a big part of what they were trying to do. So they get back and, and they donate rather than just going back home to Johnstown or whatever it is that they actually live. That's not UMass, right? This is, hey, look, we got 20,000 undergrads. We're the, we're the flagship state university of, uh, here. We're, we're good at a bunch of other sports. We're great academically. We have this other compelling story to tell. And so that's why I think even going to this game was different than I think any other game that I've covered because, you know, for it being a garbage football game, like let's be clear here, there were a lot of people there and there were a lot of people that cared and there were a lot of of students. And I've definitely been to games of much better programs that didn't have that kind of student engagement. What, what What it felt like, and we were talking about this a little bit off the air, and I realize that this kind of sounds pejorative, but I swear it really isn't it felt like a giant high school football game and that stadium and driving into that stadium and that whole experience felt extremely high school, like high level high school. Nice. But, but it, you know, it didn't feel like a, like a lot of Mac games or conference USA games that have been around, you know? Well, well, they're, they're not alone in that kind of aspect of, of college football, even at the FBS level. I mean, I, I went to Allen high school, which, uh, you know, listeners might know, uh, as the home of Kyler Murray and, and, uh, you know, they've had a lot of success in terms of the state championships and, uh, doing well. And, and they have really kind of made waves, uh, and, and became famous for their $60 million stadium, which seats a thousand more people than, than the stadium that you went to at, at McGurk. So, uh, you know, the, the facilities question, yeah, there, there are high schools, certainly in the state of Texas, uh, that have nicer facilities, not only than than UMass, but other programs that at the FBS level. I mean, you know, you go back to, uh, I mean, for, for a long, long time, even when I was back in, in high school, we had way better facilities than, say, North Texas, uh, which was, you know, about 45 minutes away in, in Denton or, you know, other spots in, in, in the state. So uh, having that discrepancy is, is never a disqualifier, you know, at this level. But I think it does kind of put into perspective, you know, how much investment are you going to have in this program? How much, um, you know, really are, are you going to be able to get out of it? But it can be a central focus for your university every Saturday. And I mean, it's not just UMass. You go down to FCS levels, D2, D3, having that that college football kind of anchor on, on Saturdays to where you can get alumni to come back for homecoming, where you can get um, just boosters, you know, kind of gathered in one spot where you can have that kind of school spirit. Um, you know, certainly it, it, it is a huge part of not only this industry, but uh, a lot of these schools on, on, on a weekly basis every fall. It's, it's a it's a good point. I want I want to include the picture. Of is is it Eagle Stadium is is that where or that what the the foot the facility in, in Allen yeah unquestionably <laughs> nicer like the the thing that was strange to me about about UMass um I think it's unlike any college football Division One stadium that I've been to or FBS everything is field level like a high school stadium so when you go down to get concessions. You are at the same level as the actual field. You could probably lean over the rope and high five somebody on the bench while you're going to get like a hot dog. Uh, the the merchandise you know thing uh, uh, booths are at field level. They're right down there, like in the in the corner of the end zone. Um, and when I was there, it was band day. So which I think is a cool thing. A lot a lot of schools do this where they invite a bunch of you know of high school marching bands throughout the state or throughout the region. They play a combined show at halftime. So you've got you know two hundred band kids you know all playing together, which which honestly sounds really cool. I mean they're in their uniforms. It's a great way to get that extra exposure, and I think that helps fill the seats a little bit. But then like when you go into the press box, it's like it's gravel. It's it's like of high school. And I'm tripping over trombone cases and like dodging. It, it reminded me of when I started my career, right? Like my first writing job ever was being working as a stringer for the Newark Advocate 
or NERC advocate, I guess, if you're if you're a local to, to Central Ohio, writing about like small Division four, five, six high school football games when, when that's what the walk to the press box was like. And and again, like it's not a, it's not a bad thing, right? If you grow up and you have you have fond emotional connections or memories of those kind of sporting events, it could not have felt less like an Ohio State football game. And yet, people were invested. People cared when when the game was 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 close and, and UMass you know, breaks off a, a big chunk passing play. It, it got pretty loud. And then when you know we couldn't, I couldn't go in the locker room at the end, but you can look outside and you see like family members and girlfriends and friends all kind of milling around about right outside, like you would at field level at a high school football game. And they just look so relieved and 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 so happy and 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 it, it, it's a cool thing, right? Like I, I am I'm, I'm trying to imagine here. It would be difficult to replicate what I saw at a place like Texas State, even though I would imagine Texas State's football players, you know, probably the top 65 of them may be better or, 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 or higher recruited or or more renowned than players at UMass. You can get players at Texas State a little bit easier than you can at, at UMass or get them to a couple other smaller FBS schools. I don't think you could build the same fan investment culture. Um, or, or, or what I saw there, as you might have some other places, like that's not just a matter of hiring the right recruiting coordinator. You know what you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean absolutely. And I mean, you're talking about your days at Ohio State, and and kind of it kind of took me back a little bit. I mean, I, I covered uh, a game at Washington State years ago uh, before they had done kind of their big renovations in, in 2006, and and it was kind of the same thing. It kind of yeah. felt like a high school stadium. I mean, it was almost like a, a double wide trailer being the press box. And uh, <laughs> I do remember right. they, had, they do they had great popcorn. I, I do remember that. But um, you know, I think it, it's kind of crazy to see the, the level of investment that that program certainly put itself into. Uh, they, they've got suites. They've, it, you know, really Martin Stadium has, has been transformed from those days where they were kind of small time and, and now they've upgraded facilities quite a bit. But that's obviously at a Power 5 level and they have the Power 5 resources and a Power 5 fan base. M- much different certainly when you're talking about U- UMass and, and what they can mean, but uh, it, it can serve as certainly a central focus for that that program, that region, that, uh, that school. And I think that's, um, you know, certainly what they have to kind of adjust to, um, you know, kind of the, the new realities of F playing FPS football uh, nowadays, as, as much as you want to kind of have your eyes set uh, set higher, um, you know, you do have to make things kind of right sized. And, and I don't think that has been a focus of athletic directors and conference commissioners and, uh, you know, university presidents really the last decade. You know, I think everybody's eyes kind of got a little bit bigger, uh, certainly in, in the 2000s, as a lot of media dollars were flowing through, a lot of money was coming into higher ed. And and now that the spigot is, is tightening ever so so slightly, I think everybody understands that making a program that, that fits you know, what your university is about, making a program that uh, certainly the, the level of investments from stadium sizes, you're, you're starting to see downsized, uh, you know, Al- even Alabama is downsizing their stadium uh, to, to kind of right fit uh, what they kind of see as not only uh, what, what the fan base is going to kind of tolerate uh, going to home games now, but also in the next five, 10, 15 years from now. So it's a, it, it's really, uh, you know, a test case for, for a lot of these programs going forward in terms of, um, you know, what works for them. And I think UMass is trying to find out certainly what, what is, what is that right fit there in Amherst? I want to definitely talk more about fit because I feel like this is a central like thesis or like the through line to the entire extra points, everything. But I want to talk about that popcorn real quick, because this is not a, uh, a little thing. I realize this is very inside baseball. But when I was talking to students at UMass and even people within the press box about, hey, how do you keep getting people to come when this team sucks? And beyond the fact that it's fun, 
I'm, I'm a literal dozen people said the food, the dorm food at this school is amazing. We have one of the best dining halls in the country. And I looked it up and there you go if you, on, on, you know, us news, when, whenever they, they surveyed this, like, lo and behold, they're, they're in the top five and they feed everybody. If you are a UMass student and you bring your meal card and you can swipe, there's like a catered, not, not a buffet, but like a high level catered like meal underneath the bleachers like you know back back in Lincoln County underneath the bleachers you might get taco in a bag which is you know some, like some rotel thrown over some crunched up Doritos and here you have like this delicious meal and that matters like I remember covering a Rutgers game earlier in my career and the press box food at Rutgers is it's delicious it's, the, it's, it's and, and like that was some some beat writers were joking like yeah you know I could have covered a D3 game or a high school game but you know part of how did you want to come up here I wish that I could have verified how good the UMass food was, but unfortunately, that the, the dining hall did not cater the press box, and I wasn't about to like bogart some college kids mac and cheese, even though I probably maybe in the in the name of serious professional journalism I probably should. But you know, if you are an AD listening to this, and you're like, how can I help build a culture where people come to my events? And, you know, listen, you can talk about Wi-Fi. And you can talk about broadcasting in different languages and all kinds of complicated marketing things, and maybe those things help bribery works too and it might be cheaper than t-shirts or towels or anything else just give them something good to eat um i bet i bet if you gave everybody that went to a maryland game one of them gigantic crab pretzels i i bet more people would come even if just for the first half you know well, you know the the absolute way to you know not only bribe you know kind of students but uh you know certainly everybody talks about press box food and and that's certainly one way to, to get the media on on your side but uh, i think that you know that the whole concept of, you know, having a, a kind of a drawing point for students is something that is universal. You know, whether you're at yeah. UMass, whether you're at UCLA, where, where you have your difficulties, you know, going to the Rose Bowl, whether you're at Texas Tech or Texas or even some of the, these these major, you know, top tier, top 25 uh, flagship institutions, getting the, the, those students to come to games is is really universal. You know, that, that is a struggle for marketing departments, a struggle for athletic departments, um, you know, especially now, um, you know, as I think the student fee battle, especially at, at certain levels of, of yeah. Division One, are, are really kind of those fights are becoming much more public, um, you know, drawing students to your game to where they're maybe having to pay for tickets and all that um, is going to be a very, very interesting battle because, uh, you know, a lot of these schools, they, they had not put much thought into it, you know, years ago, but now they're starting to see it, uh, you know, where, where it can pay off. And that, that's a perfect test case, you know, in, in UMass in terms of drawing people to not a great fo football product on the field, but because you have some of the other, other things that uh, kind of con contribute to that camaraderie. Uh, at, at football games that uh, you don't really get anywhere else on campus or, or at that school. Um, th that's a great way to not only build your uh, alumni bases and build those fond memories, but uh, also when it comes time to, uh, you know, down the road and, and those those alumni, uh, you know, have uh, a couple million dollars in the bank, maybe one or two of them. A great way to lean on those memories uh, yeah. when, when you're asking for donations. When you are, when you're in this business, and especially if you're at the G5 the FCS, the one AAA level, you're in. The, it's just like with minor league baseball, and that what you're selling is an experience. You, you, if, if your financial goals as a department are dependent on you winning a certain amount of games, you are you're, you're really limited. Like at, for my at my alma mater at Ohio State, Ohio State cannot field a successful athletic department and sponsor 11 billion teams and do what they want to do if football is going seven and five. Like they, you, you just have to be upfront and admit like. 
this team has to win and we have to spend or do whatever it takes for it to be winning or else there's going to be like a, a state investigation. That's not the case at most of these schools. And, and, and honestly, like this, I, I came into this trip being sympathetic to this idea here of, well, UMass is never going to win. The program ceiling might be the Boca Raton Bowl. So what the hell are we doing? Well, here, I think, I think there's a convincing argument that you want UConn to be good because or UMass to be good because you want everything that your university does to be good. But you can't pay the bills and provide this experience that people feel good about and the athletes are supported by even if you go three and nine. And if you can get people to feel good about your stadium and feel good about your brand and feel good about this experience, both consumers, students, and athletes, when you suck, then you're going to have so much more flexibility when you actually become good. If you have to be good, then I think you have to really ask yourself some difficult questions like, is it possible for me to actually be good? Am I prepared to spend what it means to be good? Am I prepared to you know, make a hire that I, maybe my faculty group doesn't necessarily like because I know that it might be able to, to help me be good? And that's going to be different for every school, but it's easier to justify spending and supporting a team that's probably going to be bad if you can lay out a case for we can do what we need to do as a school even if they suck like i, I think and that's true really for like for like double a baseball i don't know if anyone's sitting down here like listen if the kane county cougars don't win the pennant this year like everything's gonna fall apart no one's going to see because they want to see the kane county cougars win or whatever my the, the albuquerque isotopes like win a title like they would prefer if they were good but that's not why you go you know well, that that whole experience concept is is really even more to the forefront of sports right now because you're competing for time. And we've seen this from Netflix ex- executives saying that, that their biggest competition is is not Disney Plus or, you know, HBO Max. It's it's time. It's it's video games. It's, you know, what are you going to be doing with your, your limited amount of free time? And, you know, back in the back of the day, it might have been, you know, yeah, you're you had season tickets and you'd be going to games and maybe you'd be watching one of the three channels. But this is a, a completely different landscape. And whether you're in Los Angeles, whether you're in Seattle, whether you're in Amherst, whether you're in, you know, Lubbock, you know, it, it's all different in terms of the amount of things you can do. But it really has never been had a greater option for people to go out and do something else other than go watch a football game. And, and that is what I think a lot of the athletic departments are having to deal with nowadays is, uh, you know, they're, they're not just competing with the local NFL team. You know, they're not just competing with uh, maybe a rival uh, across the state for attention. You know, it, it, you're competing with a lot more out there. And, you know, having those good experiences when you come to games uh, matters a, a lot. And I think that's that shift to really focusing on on the game day experience, not just not just Wi-Fi, as you mentioned, uh, but but beyond that, you know, parking, tailgating. Um, you're seeing right now. I mean, you know, Louisville at uh, Texas. Um, you know, a lot of these other places are putting in concerts. You know, before games. You know, they're they're yeah. putting in these uh, whole kind of really tailgate alley places. You know, where you can go, you can have a good time before and after the game. You know, really making it a, an all day experience. And um, you know that that has been a shift, a subtle shift, uh, the last couple of years. I think where um, athletic departments, everybody understands. Yeah, there's there's some money to be made. Certainly. Um, in, in certain spots, but making sure that you're continually selling the brand and, and, and selling that experience is is a huge part of what this whole whole enterprise is, is kind of all about. And even if you nail the bells and the whistles and, and all of the and, and the experience and the operations and getting people in and out of the stadium and everything, you still need to have, if not a good not a good football on the field, you, you, you need to have football on the field that people care about, right? Like part of the reason people went to this UMass game 
wasn't just because all of their friends are going and because they're going to get some really good mac and cheese and pulled pork. It's also they're like, we know people who went to UConn. We've been making fun of these people our whole lives. We also think we might win this game. It's regional and it's like-sized budgets, like-sized recruits, and it was pretty competitive. Um, a major problem at the G5 level has been the struggle for schools to, to consistently get those kinds of matchups, right? And and, and that brings, you know, uh, brings up I think this this proposal that was uh, a couple of people teased that I saw CBS and I think Sports Illustrated had this today, but Conference USA formally writing down and committing to paper what every single sports blogger and local media reporter and, 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 and member of college football internet has basically been like throwing at the wall for the last three years. And, and also professional consultants and like people who this is their job. This idea of why don't we swap some teams, create some entirely new leagues and build something regionally based for our leagues rather than the America just coming and poaching three of our teams and another one going to the Sun Belt and we're left with this mismatch where we have some of these same problems. Um, have you had a chance to, to, to see the letter or, or look at what was actually being proposed here, Brian? Uh, briefly, yes. And, and I think um, as much as Conference USA is pushing it, and let's face it, they are being advised by, by Jim Delaney. I think that's kind of the, the brains behind this entire endeavor uh, a little bit on, on the CUSA level. Um, they are not getting that many receptive responses from either the AAC or the Sun Belt, which I think it it almost makes it a non-starter. You know, as much as it makes sense, I I, I tweeted about this the other day. Is it, it does make sense to have more regional conferences? It does make sense whether it's single sport conferences, whether it's you know kind of ideas like the MPSF out out west. We we've seen other kind of smaller leagues, yeah. uh, sport up surrounding wrestling. You know, some some of the okay. other kind of Olympic sports, um, and and they they've been good because you're saving on travel costs. You're certainly like minded in terms of budgets. What your aim for some of those sports are. And, and it, it all makes sense. But at the end of the day, these are also, you know, university leaders that, uh, you know, that they, they want to be in a conference. They want to be in certain conferences more than others. And and at the end of the day, a lot of it does come down to, you know, money and prestige. And and frankly, I think there's certainly a theory out there that, you know, Conference USA, uh, they are in the kind of the toughest spot of all with this next wave of realignment. And I think this is um, them thinking, you know, outside the box and in terms of things that they can do. But at the same time, on the American standpoint and from the Sunbelt standpoint, uh, they also see a a bit of weakness uh, out of Conference USA and and a chance to kind of take advantage of the landscape to where they can improve themselves versus helping somebody else. You know, you're 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 right on just about all of those fronts, I think. And and the uh, let me let me give you an example for like another reason why this is really unlikely to, to happen, right? I think let's say in a year from now, let's say Vox Media calls me back up and says, "Listen, Matt, we made a mistake. Where our company priority is changing a little bit here. We really want to to make a big investment in um, premium subscription based sports content." We want to bring, we, we want extra points to, to come back into the fold. It's going to make more sense here for everybody. It's going to provide stability for us. You're going to, you're going to save some money on, on marketing and your CMS costs and we can come back in here. And my first thought, and if we're being honest here, my second and my third thought after hearing that would be, well, let me go take a meeting. Let me go fly out to DC and I'll go put on a, a suit and, and, and go in there. And then I would say, you know, I'd listen to the pitch. And then I would tell them to, to eat shit. And laugh and walk away. And, and, and a big part of that, right, is because you know, in this particular example, um, there's a lot of feelings of anger and bitterness towards somebody that uh, tr- you know, acted very differently when they were in the position of power. I can tell you this. Looking at the Sun Belt, 
I know for a fact that there are multiple school administrators who begged to get into Conference USA, who uh, you know repeatedly tried to have variations of this conversation before over the last decade, and were told, "No, you're the inferior league. You we don't want you to come in here and dilute our brand. We are the league that poaches from you. People leave the Sun Belt to come to Conference USA." And you know what? Four or five years later, everything's changed, and now the Sun Belt. At least as far as college football is concerned, is unquestionably um, the stronger and, 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 and perhaps in some levels more prestigious league. And so now the same schools that told some the Sunbelt ones to go take a hike now want to come back and say, listen, let's come together here. This will save everybody money. That may still be true. But if I was working in App State, if I was working for uh, Louisiana, if I was working for some school that really tried to do this earlier and didn't, I'd tell them to eat shit too. I tell them to go take a hike, and and I would I wouldn't want to give up an ounce of leverage, um, even if that might make sense long term financially. When you're not going to be at that school twenty years later, and it would make sense to lash out. I, I I think it is important for people not in this industry to understand that while this is still business, just like anything else, these are human beings, and we're in an industry that traffics so much in prestige where other rewards are, are a little bit harder to come by. The fact that this is very unlikely to happen, I think, is very much also about personal conflict and perceived real or imagined slights over the last decade, which make Conference USA's bargaining position way worse. Like I think it's unquestionable, unquestionable right? If you are an FBS league and you need a team right now, you're, po- you're trying to poach somebody from here and you can't really sue for peace when you're the one that everybody's trying to invade, you know? Well, not not only that, but I mean, you, what you just explained uh, also is is completely applicable for the reason that we're all in this position, and that's Texas and Oklahoma and, and their <laughs> departures for the SEC, and yeah. really kind of how they've navigated the Big Twelve all these years. So, uh, you, you you go back to uh, that that is that has been kind of the, the status quo for uh, you know two or three decades now in, in college football as we've kind of gone through these waves of realignment, and I, I think it is. Uh, certainly a difficult spot for Conference USA, but what makes things interesting to me is is not that they want to kind of do this. Number one, that they've been so public about it, um, and and I mean, you can say, well, these these weren't supposed to be public, and they've been leaked. Well, they've that that's kind of strategic. But uh, setting that aside, yeah, like I I, nobody had to work super hard to go get this information out there. They wanted you to know it. <laughs> Exactly. And so I think the, the interesting thing to me is it's not that this is kind of out there, but also, you know, what is kind of that next phase in terms of FCS leagues coming up to the FBS level? Um, I, I think that is going to be intriguing. Just what size of, of the division is, is, is there going to be in terms of FBS? Are we going to be stuck at 130 teams? I don't think so. I think there, there could be other leagues out there. Um, is, is that are one of them going to absorb some of these conference USA? Is, is there going to be a, a reverse merger of sorts with, with the old uh, remnants of the WAC coming up? Like there's, there's so many kind of iterations beyond uh, what, what's going to happen in the next couple of years. And uh, set that against the backdrop of the college football playoff expansion kind of being in this next phase as well um, you know a lot of people are, are going to want a bite at that apple you know right now they, there is some payouts from the college football playoff from that uh, that yep. large contract that they get two leagues like conference USA that money's divvied up and so if they can get additional monies um, you know that that certainly is is kind of on the table to be discussed as well so I th- there's a lot of things going on right now in, in college athletics this is this is far from the most interesting one on the table but I, it's definitely a talking point right now uh, just because it's in the news but I, I don't I really just do not see it happening uh, at, at any level uh, right now just based on where the other leagues are 
Yeah. No, I'm, 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 I'm with you. Like, honestly, I think it's a pretty good idea. Um, and uh, I think, I think the, the looking at the letter itself, what conference would say is saying like, listen, um, we're the media industry is moving towards a more direct to consumer model and we can realign ourselves to increase our travel costs and make it hard for us to sell tickets. And maybe we'll make an extra 900,000 bucks off this next cable contract. But the, the well that we're all trying to mine right now is running dry. Uh, or, or or hit right now, and and the, the opportunities for more money through direct to consumer with this lineup of schools over the next decade are, are really probably minimal. And based on the people that I've talked to in this industry, looking at at, at these programs, most of whom don't have enormous fan bases, um, I think I think that's true. But yeah, the time to do this was five years ago. The 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 time now you don't have any leverage. I'm I'm not sure exactly how this ends. I think right, like you know, I'm I'm, I'm you, we, can, we can all sit here with, with, with spreadsheets and try to game it out. I, I can say that I would be very, very surprised at this point. We are recording this on the 12th. I would expect UAB to be in the American or whatever the American, maybe the Americans called something different. I would expect UAB. And I think if you're making a pecking order based on kind of what I've been hearing of the next school to be called up to that kind of league, I think number two is Charlotte. From there, I don't really know if there's a big difference between number three and number six. You know, whatever message board wants to get my mentions now, I'm, look, I'm, I'm sure you're right. I've, I haven't heard a consensus from anybody else, but that's – I don't know what the, what, the, what the move after that is though, right? Whether it's going into the FCS, whether it's it's reengaging with Liberty, and quite frankly, I don't even know if Liberty would, would be as interested in kind of the, 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 the dregs of Conference USA at this point. Whether you break into two leagues – You'll not say, but there's you're, you're right. Between this and what's happening at the FCS, which I wrote about on, tu- on Tuesday, and also what's happening at Division Two, this the stuff does go down pretty you know pr- pretty deep, and you can trace not all of it, but some of it to just rich people being petty. Absolutely, and and I, you can even set this against the backdrop of the current NCAA constitutional convention and and changes afoot at, at that level. And so I think there's just so much going on, and, and at some point decisions have to get start getting made, and 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 kind of soon. And so I think that's going to be the the thing to kind of keep an eye out for is is not uh, not just reading these. Pl- press clippings, but uh, really kind of focusing on when are these moves going to get made? You mentioned UAB. Uh, it, it's not a it's not, not coincidence that uh, they've been touting a, a few large donations. Um, you know, they've been touting how their medical school has been, uh, you know, received uh, certain grants. Uh, a lot of that stuff matters at the presidential level when, when they get voted on that. And let's just say that has been strategic on, on, the, on the part of, of UAB, getting that out there these last couple of weeks and, and really getting in the news for everything other than uh, just their football program, which is which is still doing real real well and uh, they opened their big new stadium uh, had, had a lot of folks uh, in in there for that one that game uh, tough loss to, to liberty but uh, i mean everything uh, certainly is, is pointing for the signs to uh uab joining the ac now like you mentioned it's the other other moves uh related to this that i, I think are still out there i mean we the big 12 has never not really closed the door on expansion i think there's there's nope. really um you know folks out there that would especially at, at Boise State uh, that, that are anticipating another round. Um, you know, whether that's Boise State and Memphis, we'll see. But uh, I think that's, you know, kind of everybody is, has pointed to those options being on the table at the Big 12 uh, wants to do this dance again. Um, but when that happens, uh, is kind of anybody's guess. And uh, there, there are a couple of surprise moves out there as well and set against the backdrop of, of all these larger changes as well uh, going on well beyond what's happening in in a couple of office parks uh, down there in Irving, Texas. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I said this multiple times that if you're trying to project 
what FCS teams are likely to move up are FCS leagues. You got to look to what's happening with the college football playoff. Like that, that's, that's the big variable. So they could figure out how much money are we talking? And then how much are they actually going to share that with us? So we could do some, some kind of, uh, some kind of budget forecasting. I, I'm not sure when the next American announcement is going to be my, my dumb guess or not dumb, slightly educated guess is that there's not going to be an announcement this week. But of course, by saying that, they're going to leak something on Friday as, as, tends, as tends to happen. But I, I do think we'll see some things at the FCS or one AAA level a little bit sooner than that. I've heard uh, of a couple of, of, of changes that could be close to imminent. Um, well, that was in the newsletter this, this week as well that you wrote about in terms of the FCS playoffs uh, potentially expanding, which I, I think is also an interesting concept because you do yeah. have these these schools that are looking up towards the FBS level. And you have the background of uh, I think it's the uh, Kaplan, uh, Heckler and Finca gender equity report is, is going to happen at the end of this month in, in October. So you have a lot of changes afoot in terms of the NCAA, and especially with regard to their recommendations on the media contracts, uh, not just in, in sports like FCS football, but across the board that that. Uh, changes will be afoot there for the NCA, so I think it's it's going to be interesting because uh, there's there's just a ton of of all these changes going on, and uh, I, I'm kind of curious does does the FCS you know playoff you know kind of expand as well uh, along with the the improved uh, college football playoff uh, because I think that's certainly the the pressures that uh, the, the the Big Sky and and the Missouri Valley and all those others are are facing in terms of the auto bids and and just having a, a few too many um, for for their liking. You know, is, is that going to create pressure to, uh, you know, do away with those first round buys uh, like you were writing about this uh, this week? That That is another fascinating question that I know folks at at, at the FCS level are starting to talk about um, in earnest. Yeah, it, it's interesting because I, I don't I don't think there's a huge fan demand for for really expanding the field. And, and if we're honest, um at what, at what is it like 24 teams like right now, it, there are some at large teams that are, that are really just OK. And the gap that we see at the FBS level between like whoever wins the SEC and whoever wins like the Sun Belt is is maybe more, even more pronounced at the FCS level, where you're looking at the, whoever won the Pioneer League, which doesn't even give scholarships. And if it's anybody other than San Diego, they're going to get obliterated in the first round. And the, the NEC or, or the Patriot, like there might be one kind of good team in, in those leagues um, compared to whoever wins the Missouri Valley. Like that's that's it's not a fair fight at all. Um, but not only do you have the auto bid question, and I think it's a fair thing to say, look, my league's got 12 teams or 14 teams, and it's really deep. And we're giving auto bids to multiple leagues that have six teams. Maybe, maybe that's not so fair. Is th- there's the fact that, look, we might have another five or six teams joined from division two o- o- over the next year. And, and th- this, I know this is like really into the weeds, right? But like this, I've heard this from coaches and a couple other sports too, that like, we don't necessarily automatically expand the size of the postseason as more schools enter a sport. Um, and, you know, at a place like lacrosse where postseason access is, is actually, is really pretty closely, gar- it's, it's limited and you could be a very good team and, and not make the tournament. And, and those are sports that are growing. There's not really an automatic way to say like, okay, we're, we're going to cap it so that the tournament automatically grows so it's reaching 38% of like the total field or anything. I don't know if the FCS playoffs going to expand like in the next year. Um, I, I, the only thing that really happens super quickly in higher education is, is writing a parking ticket. So I would imagine there's going to be like eight more committees in there. But you're right, that, those, those are two big things. And then on the tournament side, you know, just for the amateur realignmentologists who are listening to this. Important to remember, you and I have talked about this a lot. Um, there's a decent reason to think that the whole concept of the NCAA tournament unit payout is going to change. 
whether it's going to they're going to be payouts for the men's and women's tournament, whether they're going to decrease the size of the men's tournament unit, whether they're going to get rid of it entirely. Like I, I do not think it is a given that the status quo for how that those finances work is going to remain over the next couple of years, especially after the, this report comes out. Yeah, I mean, I, I've reported uh, a couple weeks ago that, uh, you know, the N- N- NCAA women's tournament is, is going to expand to 68 teams. That was one yep. of the recommendations in, in the uh, gender equity report uh, that that is going to happen at, at some point in the near future. They already, you know, ha- have approved the March Madness logo and, and branding and all that. So you're starting to see kind of things um, being being changed at, at the NCAA level. And and we're going to see a whole host more happen after this, this other gender equity report that really covers everything beyond just basketball, you know, things like uh, women's volleyball and and issues and in, in inequality and in, in between you know volleyball and uh what what is being spent on football and and other sports and so um you know there, there's there's still a lot of change coming and, and like we said you also set that against the backdrop of this nca constitutional convention you know mark Emmert has kind of come out and said this is really kind of the first of two phases of of really massive nca reform and you know to me i, I don't even think mark Emmert's position is is all that secure in terms of navigating all this as well because nope. uh, as much as he's gotten a a, a extension uh, in terms of his term contract term from the uh, board of governors uh, you know this, this amount of change uh, is, is causing a lot of folks to kind of uh, relook at, at who is the leadership not only in in at their school but uh, their their conference, uh, a few conference commissioners might be be out there out, out the way uh, out the door uh, shortly. I, I would anticipate uh, as well. So yes, I think uh, you're probably know a couple of those that that may not be long for for their exact spots. And you're right, there are contract extensions that you cannot get out of, and there are contract extensions that you could get out of. I think we both know which one Mark Emmert got. Yeah, absolutely. And and so, uh, it, you know, just it's just a ton of change uh, afoot. And it kind of comes back to uh, how, how were you talking about, uh, you know, UMass and, and UConn and, you know, the sickos game of the week uh, being being interesting. You know, this is that, that that is the here and the now, you know, the, those games, you know, being able to see, uh, you know, your progress on campus, being able to reunite with with friends and whatnot. Those those Saturdays mean a lot. But the other six days of the week, there is a ton going on in, in college athletics right now. It, it's it's fun to cover. Certainly, but uh, it does make for a, a lot of headlines, a, a lot of news going on, and, and a lot of change that's happening to a, a sport that things typically have, have been drawn out and, and happened in, incrementally. That is not the case. The, this kind of five-year period from kind of 2019 on through is is really the maybe the biggest changes we've seen to NCA and, and college athletics in general since maybe maybe the, the turn of the century. Yeah, I mean, just very selfishly. Um, it sucked for me <laughs> just trying to like keep a, a handle on everything that's happening as a one a one and a half guy newsroom, uh, especially because typically in our line of work, July is slower. And boy, howdy, that was not the case but for the last couple of Julys. And I, in my head, I keep thinking like, look, I just got to get through this week. Then I can go back to like my non-news cycle peg stuff and I can, I can write about this Division three story that I've been working. No, like there's, there's, always, there's always a thing. Um, if you want to know more about those changes, right? Like a great place that you're going to be able to find that information is on Extra Points. The newsletter that publishes four days a week, two of those are completely free. Two of those are behind a paywall. Uh, I've written quite a bit about NCAA conventions. I've written quite a bit about small college conference realignment. Again, we wrote this big story here on the UMass-UConn game and what success actually looks like for different schools and what kind of success is, is reasonable to aspire to. You can find all of that and support this podcast at extrapointsmb.com. 
Brian, what else are you working on right now? Oh, I uh, always have my uh, my Monday seven step drop column covering college football. That's out on Athlon Sports uh, NFL Power Rankings. Got a whole, whole host of other things uh, on, on the back burner that are coming out uh, slowly over the next couple of weeks. You can always find them on my Twitter feed at Brian D Fisher is always the best way to uh, to find that stuff and uh, a whole lot of stuff coming up. Uh, even even the, the next edition of, of the Sickos game, Arizona heads to uh, Colorado uh, in what might be the, the next FBS uh, Sickos game of the week. So uh, I, I will definitely be watching. And if you're looking for a recap in that, find find it that way. Is that game going to kick off at like two o'clock in the morning my time, or is that going to be? Uh, you know, I, I wrote it. I think it's like a, a three thirty Eastern kick. If, it, uh, if it's if it's a, yeah, let's listen. I know podcasting is a visual medium, and it's this is. I uh, have it written down. See, this I, is, this so is what is I write all the games and, and what channel I, I got to tune to. So let's see, twelve thirty Pacific. So that's three thirty Eastern. Pac twelve Network. That might be the tricky part for for some folks. But hey, a lot more uh, eyeballs going to be on that than than unfortunately your UMass UConn game. Uh, outside of those that uh, might have might have copped a, an illegal stream because uh, <laughs> qu- quite difficult to to get that that uh, Flow Sports uh, subscription uh, done in time. But uh, yeah, and, yeah. And, and you had to lie, I think, and tell Flow Sports that you lived in Massachusetts so you can get the Nesson stream because it's always supposed to be for like for locals right although if i recall not that i would ever encourage anybody to lie to a trusted media partner um i i, I don't think they were actually checking um, oh, but uh it, 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 this should be a little bit more accessible than uh than the last week's edition but uh, hey you know we, we had Akron uh, Bowling Green as well, which uh, which resulted in upset. So uh, fun times all around the FBS level from from the very top and, and teams getting upset all the way to the very bottom. I'm going to take a little bit of time, I think, um, after this weekend to figure out if it makes sense for me to catch any other games. I have I have some actual like uh, extra points related travel I have to do. I'm going to, I'm going to be speaking at a couple of colleges later this year. Uh, I don't know if I want to do uh, another football game if it makes sense to wait for basketball season. We'll go figure all that out. In the meantime. Um, you want to keep uh, uh, up to date on all of these massive changes happening in the industry. Find uh, find me at MapRoundEP on Twitter, at ExtraPointsMB on Instagram, www.ExtraPointsMB.com for the newsletter. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch up with you next week. <laughs>